Hello and welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. This is episode 31, and I got together with Jen Camp last week or a few weeks ago, and we talked about Heavenly Mother. So here I'm just sharing the audio for that episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, It's Jen and Julia again, (laughs) back here with Analyzing Mormonism and our Truth Claim series. And this is um, the podcast that where we are going to talk about Heavenly Mother. And um, I'm actually really excited about it. And I haven't even been able to read through all the slides that Julia has um, prepared for us today. So I'm actually kind of excited to be a little bit surprised as we go through here and see what she's put together for us. So um, is there anything that you want to start out with saying, Julia, um, with this podcast or what you've found? Um, sure. Well, I can, I feel like I say this a lot, but like, so the things, the sources that I have are not all of the sources for these topics that we're talking about with Heavenly Mother. Just know that there are more out there. I just didn't have time to pull them, pull more in. So, mm-hmm. and there's so many things written about Heavenly Mother. And again, I can't pull everything out for this podcast. So. Just know there's more out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, So let's see. And then just to give everyone a heads up about what is starting next month, um, we are going to start going through um, all of the polygamous wives of Joseph Smith is where we're going to start. So we are going to try our best to do five wives per podcast. And so that's going to actually take us seven months <laughs> since he had a few. So um, but we're going to try and I'm actually going to um, help Julia pull some stuff for these coming upcoming podcasts because this is a part of my faith transition that um was really where it all started for me, um, finding a certain story and then um, kind of went down that rabbit hole for quite some time learning about the women and um, how their stories began and ended. So I am so excited about that series. So that's coming up. So just I just wanted to tell everyone at the beginning of the podcast, because I usually say at the end, but I am so excited about it. So um, but going on to Heavenly Mother, I know that um, this is a, this is a, I don't know, a heart subject. I don't know how exactly to use the right words for a lot of women when they're transitioning. Um, and really recently for a lot that are still believing, um, they are kind of wanting that relationship or some kind of connection with a feminine divine, um, which for the LDS people is heavenly mother to them. Um, and there hasn't been much given, um, that I have been able to find. So I'm excited to see what you have for us today, Julia. Should we jump in? Yeah, we can just jump right in. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and you take over. Okay. So we're talking about heavenly mother, of course. And then, so I want it, so I'm not doing this in chronological order. I'm just doing this in the order that makes sense to me, I guess, in delivering. So I wanted to talk about the latest teachings first, because if you guys have been watching General Conference, I think it was just as early as last year that Renlin talked about, talked about Heavenly Mother. 
And like you were saying, Jen, with women even now are in the church are seeking for Heavenly Mother. And I don't think he would have addressed this at all if that wasn't the case. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. So I think Renlin is very aware that there are women out there in the church that want to know more. Yeah. So, yeah. So I wanted to start with him. So this was April of 2022. So I guess it was a few sessions ago, but so we were, I want to watch that clip to just set the stage. The doctrine of a heavenly mother comes by revelation and is a distinctive belief among Latter-day Saints. President Dallin H. Oaks explained the importance of this truth. Our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. Very little has been revealed about mother in heaven, but what we do know is summarized in a gospel topic found in our gospel library application. Once you've read what's there, you'll know everything that I know about the subject. I wish I knew more. You too may still have questions and want to find more answers. Seeking greater understanding is an important part of our spiritual development, but please be cautious. Reason cannot replace revelation. Speculation won't lead to greater spiritual knowledge, but it can lead us to deception or divert us and divert our focus from what has been revealed. For example, the Savior taught his disciples, always pray unto the Father in my name. We follow this pattern and direct our worship to our Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ and do not pray to Heavenly Mother. Ever since God appointed prophets, they've been authorized to speak on his behalf but they don't pronounce doctrines fabricated of their own mind or teach what hasn't been revealed. <laughs> Consider the words of the Old Testament prophet Balaam, who was offered a bribe to curse the Israelites to benefit Moab. Balaam said, if the king of Moab would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Latter-day prophets are similarly constrained. Demanding revelation from God is both arrogant and unproductive. Instead, we wait on the Lord and his timetable to reveal his truths through the means that he has established. Well, my thoughts are that um, usually all the revelation comes from <laughs> people pressuring them That's um, what to ask. <laughs> To ask God. Yeah, like that's a silly example. Like, because he's like, don't pressure um, them to get revelation. But like, that's how you got the word of wisdom. That's how we got (laughs) like half the things we believe come from pressure. Like, yeah, so I think that's kind of silly. And then, like, I laughed whenever he talked about how they don't teach doctrines fabricated of their own mind. (laughs) Just because to me, it really does seem obvious that there are things that are doctrines that are fabricated. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then at the beginning, he said, one, the thing that I, hang on, there's a car. Um, so the thing that I think about the most is that he says, if you read the Gospel Topics essay, you'll know more than I know about the subject, which, as you'll see with all these slides, either he's either he doesn't know very much church history at all, or he's not being honest, because yeah. there's a lot more to know. The essay is just three minutes long if you listen to it, and there's very little that's actually said in that essay that's not, that's being 
there are things left out. And so that's what we're talking about today is, is all the things that have been left out. And even I didn't pull out everything that, that has, that has been left out of. Yeah. So what you're calling brother Renlund, a lazy learner. Yeah. Julia? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the apostle is not, he's being a lazy learner. So he yeah. is. So um, especially when a lot of these, these sources are on Joseph Smith papers. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I wanted to go over just the few things that the Gospel Topics essay does tell us about Heavenly Mother. It tells us that she exists. It says that the doctrine of a Heavenly Mother is a cherished and distinctive belief among Latter-day Saints. And like, while I love that sentiment, I don't think that's true. Like, do you, I don't think she's distinctive at all. I think she's hidden and she's in the shadows. Mm -hmm. So I don't like that. I do like the idea of cherished, right. but as far as like overall doctrine, you can find her in just a few books. So I don't know how mm -hmm. cherished that is. Like, yeah. Yeah. I would not use the word cherished either. I would, I don't know if I was I, true believing. I don't know because it's hard to, it's hard to cherish someone you don't know. Right. I think that, she's necessary yeah. to the doctor. Yes. Necessary. But I, but I don't yeah. think she's cherished or distinct at all. But. I think they want to cherish her, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to think as if I were still believing, like what, like I would want that. I would want that <laughs> connection, you know. Um, I can't remember who wrote the poem, but there's like a poem that's out there or a letter and it switches Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father. Have you ever read that? Oh, I don't. Is where it published it, by the church at all? No, oh, no, 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 oh, no. Someone else so. wrote it where like they switched everything from Heavenly Father to Heavenly Mother. And then as you read it, you, you understand, oh, gosh, dang it. I wish I would have had it now. Oh, that's cool. But you start to understand how non, <laughs> like not important she is because Aww. it feels so wrong to the doctrine like wrong uh -huh. to switch the two and how left out she is of everything involved in the church i'll have to see if i can find it then okay. I'll, post, I'll post it in the comments of the okay, perfect. of the podcast but it's super interesting to read it in that perspective so okay cool, cool um so another thing that the gospel topics essay points out it says women recall joseph teaching about her but I just added in men because a lot of what we hear from her actually comes from men. So I don't know why they said that unless they're just making this a feminist idea that only women want. And because the church teaches that one of the three big bad wolves of the church is our feminine feminist people. So like, mm -hmm. I don't know why they did that made that distinction, but uh, yeah, so another thing. Yeah. So another thing it says that the earliest published reference to the doctrine of heavenly mother appeared shortly after Joseph Smith's death in 1844, but in documents written by his close associates. So the doctrine of mm -hmm. Heavenly Mother was never written down by Joseph himself, but it was taught by people who remembered him saying it, which is, which is a lot of the case of Joseph with any of his doctrines because he was so bad at, or I shouldn't say bad. He, well, okay, I'm just gonna say bad. He was bad at keeping <laughs> records. <laughs> he was bad at writing things for himself. So he always had people writing, writing his journals for him or writing his accounting of his life or his, um, uh, speeches and sermons and stuff like that. So, so a lot of what we have from Joseph doesn't actually come from Joseph, uh, including Heavenly Mother. So the church is right. Yeah. It, it, it didn't come from Joseph. It yeah. didn't come from his writings, I should say. Which is interesting if it's like part of the whole 
whole uh, eternal families. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's another clip here. This is by Glenn L. Pace. And I'm just kind of going backwards in the timeline. So the most recent thing was Renlund last year. This one was set in 2010. This is probably not the most recent thing, but this is one of the things that stuck out to me. This is Glenn L. Pace at BYU. When you stand in front of your heavenly parents in those royal courts on high, and you look into her eyes and behold her countenance, any question you ever had about the role of women in the kingdom will evaporate into the rich celestial air. Because at that moment, you will see standing directly in front of you your divine nature and destiny. So I like that one because like, I do like the idea of us as women being able to see Heavenly Mother as a, as a role model. Like this is what we can become and embody that is our divine nature and destiny. I have a problem, however, as we unfold these pieces of Heavenly Mother, that that's, I'm not okay with that anymore. <laughs> but like as a member, I would have loved hearing that I can become like Heavenly Mother. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Okay, so this one I think is my favorite slash, I don't know, it's, it's just kind of controversial to me, I guess. But this is President Hinckley in 1991. I give it to all in this forum because of the activities of a few who evidently are seeking to lead others in the paths which they are following. I speak of those who advocate the offering of prayers to our mother in heaven. This practice started in private prayer and is beginning to spread to prayers offered in some of our meetings. It was Eliza R. Snow who wrote the words, truth is reason, truth eternal, tells me I have a mother there. It has been said that the prophet Joseph Smith made no correction to what Sister Snow had written. Therefore, we have a mother in heaven. Therefore, some assume that we may appropriately pray to her. Logic and reason would certainly suggest that we, if we have a father in heaven, we have a mother in heaven. That doctrine rests well with me. However, in light of the instruction we have received from the Lord himself, I consider it inappropriate for anyone in the church to pray to our mother in heaven. I have looked in vain for any instance where any president of the church from Joseph Smith to Ezra Taft Benson has offered a prayer to our mother in heaven. I suppose those who use this expression and who try to further its use are well-meaning, but they are misguided. The fact that we do not pray to our mother in heaven in no way belittles or denigrates her, none of us can add to or diminish the glory of her of whom we have no revealed knowledge. So I think that last line just hits me because he says there's no revealed knowledge about Heavenly Mother and that's 100% false. Like, but also, and as we'll go through these slides, the reason he's talking about this at all in the pulpit is because the members are praying to her. In 1991, mm -hmm. that was a big thing in the 90s. So he's having to publicly address this to get them to stop praying to her, which I think yeah. that's really interesting. Why? And yeah, it, that doesn't make any sense to me either. Why would you stop them from praying to her? I don't know. Like, like that, that would hurt God's ego. Like, I, you know, 
they my... their god is so jealous jealous yeah right. like i don't i don't see god that way i don't but, you know uh, but also if like you view god as a dad like a a very healthy mentally healthy and stable dad mm-hmm. keeping your children from talking to their mother is really abusive <laughs> so yes that's a problem yes that would be yeah i just don't get that at all i don't i don't see the point of him doing that it really actually kind of bothers me a lot yeah so that's how a lot of this a lot of these slides are is trying to answer those questions and i don't know to some degree or another so this is just this transcript and he says it's it's inappropriate to pray to her because jesus never did and then just the idea that no revealed knowledge just is he's also a lazy learner <laughs> like <laughs> yeah 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 okay so there's this woman, one of the women in the 90s that there's just a lot of feminists that got in trouble. They got disfellowshipped for them telling anything about Heavenly Mother. And Gail Turley Houston was one of these women. She was an English professor and she advocated for praying to Heavenly Mother. And she got a letter from BYU um, threatening her employment there. And it included three concerns. It said that your, your teaching evaluation scores are really low in the gospel insights and spiritually inspiring. So they're like, First of all, you're not being very spiritual in your classes, which maybe she wasn't their kind of spiritual. Mm-hmm. But number two is her public statement supporting the practice of praying to Heavenly Mother as well as Heavenly Father. So she's not taking away from him at all. She's just saying both because mm-hmm. they're a pair, which yeah. consisted of a pattern of publicly contradicting fundamental church doctrine and deliberately attacking the church. I don't see how, like, I don't see how praying to Mother, Heavenly Mother is like attacking church doctrine. Or the church, I mean, it hurts the patriarchy. So I guess if you want to call yeah. it the church. Yeah. yeah. And then three, her disagreements with provisions that BYU faculty should be models of spirituality um, to their students. So, um, yeah, anyway, so she she got denied to continue working at BYU and she was let go in 1996. So, which I think is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she's not the only one. There's so many women out there, professors, scholars, women leaders in the church that, got disfellowshipped for this very thing. Wow. Yeah. And this is, I think it was her mother got sick and passed away, I think, uh, during around, around this time. And she says, I did not know my mother in heaven until just a few years ago. And I'm, I'm assuming that has something to do with her own mother's death. And I ask why my church wa- wants me to forget or deny her. I cannot and I will not. And I just mm-hmm. thought that was a really beautiful statement from her to yeah. not let this go. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It so bothers me that it, that's even a question that, that she should have to. Yeah. Okay. So there's just, a, there's a smaller list that I found of other women that were punished or disciplined for talking about Heavenly Mother. There's Janice Allred. There's Lynn. Um, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Lynn Whitesides, Maxine Hanks, and Margaret Toscano. And so while I was preparing for these, I read some of these these women have written a lot to some degree, these essays, and I was able to pull in a few things mm. here and there, but yeah. So Mark Toscano was one of these women and she says, while some regard the need for silence about the heavenly mother as reverence, absolute silence about her does not protect her. It erases her. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, fe- I felt that one. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the church knows this, like the church has done this 
has used this as a tactic to get its members to stop talking about polygamy or to stop talking about this the mm -hmm. stone in a hat or like anything that's or treasure digging like if you don't talk about it that it will be erased from our history although yeah. that's not really possible anymore with the uh internet internet but. yeah <laughs> they did yeah. they got away with it for a while there yeah they did I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so this is another theme from Margaret Toscano, which I just thought this was interesting because of our talks previously on the Equal Rights Amendment in the 70s and having all this go down. Mm -hmm. But she says, while I have never seen any study that documents when or how the idea developed in the church that Heavenly Mother cannot be talked about because she is too sacred, my sense is that it began in the 1960s and 1970s at about the same time that there was a resurgence of interest in feminine feminist questions in the church accompanied by the renewal interest of some women in search of the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. So like, as the church is shutting down everything for the ERA, yeah. they're also shutting down this idea of talking about her. Yep. So. Okay, so now we're going to the past teachings. These are the old documents and old church books about Heavenly Mother. So this one, um, there's, I'm not a Bible scholar at all. I've only looked into church, like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints history. So this is like out of my realm, but I just wanted to put her in here because I think this is important. So Asherah is the heavenly mother figure in the Bible. And I know she's exists in other, she's not just inside the Bible, I think, I think she's elsewhere, but she was the, the consort of the wife of, of the God of the Bible. And she was edited out and was first noticed by scholars in the 1960s and has since been kind of making a comeback. So I mm -hmm. thought she was worth talking about for a second. Maybe you know more. I don't. I don't know. I don't really anything no. about her. No, I'm. I'm not as familiar with her as I am with Mary Magdalene's writing, which um, is interestingly around the same time. Um, so, 1940s, 1950s is when her scrolls were um, finally. Well, they were found earlier, but they were finally translated. Um, is that the right word? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah, translated into, so we would know what they said mm -hmm. um, in like the 1950s, um, I believe is when 1950. So, and then that, that voice, that feminine voice of Jesus and knowing him from a feminine side, it started to come out, but still, I mean, it's 2023 and we're still like, people don't even know that Mary Magdalene's scrolls were found. Like, and that there is a feminine side of knowing Christ while he was on the earth, knowing Jesus. And it's just so interesting to me that still to this day, I cannot find like a male pastor um, in the Christian outside of LDS realm that will even like have a full discussion with me on the podcast about her. And I've asked wow. at least 15, I would wow. say, but they don't even want to go there. And Wait, it's why so they interesting. Do they give you a reason why? No, it's just kind of like as soon as I bring it up, like what I would like to kind of talk to him about or ask him questions, it's like a cut. Oh, it's like a yeah, yeah. It's wow. really interesting to me. Well, so, so this is this might be more on the note of polygamy for the next several podcasts. But Joseph Smith, one of the things he did, this is totally off topic, but one of the things he did to justify his polygamy is he also taught that Jesus Christ was a polygamist and that Mary Magdalene was one of his wives. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I want I want to hear more about that. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, get into that a little bit, because I do believe that they had a, a definitely a different relationship than anyone else. 
So that'll be interesting to see what you find and what I, yeah, what I yeah, find in that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Okay. So the, the first recorded reference that I was able to find, um, now I'm not a scholar. I don't like, there could be one earlier, but the first recorded reference that I found was published in the Times and Seasons in February of 1844. And it was in a poem written by W.W. Phelps. And so the gospel topics essays, I guess, is a, is a little bit off because they say, you know, this is after his death, which he died in June of 1844. So I just thought that was interesting. And if you go to the next slide, then it shows the poem that he wrote. Yeah, so um, I'm not good with writing, reciting poetry. Tis like a little leaven, the woman hid for good, when she as queen of heaven, the gold of overstood. Tis like the court of Zion, where garments are all white who will reign like Judah's lion in everlasting light. So it's just a small reference to her, but he's talking about this queen of heaven. And like, it's just really sweet. And I think that's probably where Heavenly Mother has her biggest platform is, is in songs and in poetry, mm. um, specifically with Eliza R. Snow's, um, like, Oh, My Father. Yeah. Do you know if this song was ever put into the hymn book by... Oh, I don't know. Um, Emma Smith? I don't... I, I wish I had one of those little the reprints of it, but I don't know. I don't know what's in the mm -hmm. look it up. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to go through each and every one of these, but basically the highlighted ones, I, I just want to read those. So okay. W.W. Phelps, this is right after Joseph died. He added another, he wrote the poem to Joseph. And after his death, he wrote a little bit more lines talking about it. So here's the father in heaven and mother, the queen, and here are worlds that have and worlds yet to be. And so he's giving her another, another, I don't know what to call that. He's referencing her again, which mm -hmm. I thought was sweet. So maybe he felt inspired by Joseph passing away. And so W.W. Phelps again to Joseph and his brother, William, in 1844, December. And he, again, referencing thy queen, my, thy mother is the queen of heaven. And so just another mm -hmm. that she exists. She's out there. Mr. Phelps was connected. Yeah. So this is Brigham Young. And he, the, this isn't his own personal handwriting, but these are people that are listening to, to his sermon. This, he's dedicating the 70s hall here in December of 1844. And he says, he spoke of the relation we had to our father in heaven and to our mother, the queen. I love that they call her a queen because mm -hmm. I feel like that's, um, you, don't, you don't hear them talk about Heavenly Father as a king very often, but mm -hmm. they're like giving her this title, which I thought was really sweet. So, so that's Brigham Young. So I guess another thing that I think about is the church seems to say Joseph didn't teach about her. Therefore, like we don't pray to her and we, she's not a big part in our theology, but like, what about all the other prophets after Joseph that did talk about her? Like, I don't know. I just yeah. wonder why they're, why they're going to Joseph, but hmm. I don't know. Probably because that feeds them the, their, <laughs> I, I guess, guess their, feeds their path the best. Yeah. What they're trying to tell or yeah. make happen. So here's W.W. Phelps again. This is the, the next year or the next month, I suppose, in 1845, where he's referencing again, Mother of the Queen, Near the Worlds. I guess this is the same. This sounds a little bit similar to the first one. Mm -hmm. They both come to me. Okay, so there's W.W. Phelps again. This is a few months later, and he's referencing again. Um, now the acts of the spiritual body while he was a child was with his father and mother in heaven. So again, we they she exists. We were with her before we were here in the pre-existence. So, and then there's, Oh, my father by Eliza R. Snow in 1845 and, um, truth is reason. Truth eternal. tells me I have a mother there. 
think we've, if you're a member of the church, I think that's probably, the most familiar one. Yeah. That I would sure. be for yeah. sure. Yeah. And then there's an, is this the same thing? So yeah. Father and mother in heaven. So with us, the voyage of life is over safely anchored in port. Yeah. Just referencing her again. And then this one I thought was super interesting the way I'm reading this. So this is Eliza R. Snow to Sylvia Sessions. These are both Joseph Smith, wives of Joseph Smith. So we'll hear more about them later. And this is May of 1847. And she's saying, like, will with prayer and supplication plead for thee before the throne of the great eternal mother. Therefore, do not feel alone. She's mm -hmm. using the word prayer and she's pleading. So it sounds to me like Eliza R. Snow is praying to Heavenly Mother. Yeah. And this is the prophet's wife. Like, hmm. I don't know. It just makes me wonder because they specifically said praying to Heavenly Mother is inappropriate. But yet the prophet and his wife are <laughs> suggesting it. Yeah, like I don't, at least talking yeah. about her and suggestion, yeah. suggesting prayer. Right. So I don't. Hmm. Yeah. So W.W. Phelps again, 1852. Canst thou find out the eternal mother? And he says, there cannot be a father without a mother, which is what Hinckley said earlier, where he says, this just makes sense. If you have a heavenly father, you have to have a heavenly mother. So again, she exists. She's there. And then Carly P. Pratt, 1855. And this one I thought was interesting. This He doesn't really reference heavenly mother. But he says, this path of earthly life has been trodden by eternal father and his son, Jesus Christ, and by all the sons and daughters of God who are exalted to a fullness of joys as celestial. Joy is celestial. So this to me says, it, I feel like it's kind of obvious, but like Heavenly Mother also lived on this earth like we did, like we are now. And then she was as an mm -hmm. exalted being. So like she had a body, she was on an earth, had these experiences, and then she was exalted. So like the yeah. whole thing... God is as man. How does that go? Uh, man, God, I can't remember. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. And man shall be. Yeah. Yep. Nope. Yeah, I can't I'm remember. Not gonna, I'm not going to bring it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know what we're talking about. Yeah. We can, we can, yeah. Anyway. Um, so Brigham Young, um, 1856. We were created upright, pure, and holy in the image of our father and our mother. You can kind of keep going. Okay. Um, John Taylor, again, he's another prophet. This is 1857. And he says, he's talking about the, near the planet Kolob, leave thy father in thy mother's bosom and all thy kindred spirits. And he's talking about leaving their premortal world to come here. Brigham Young in 1862, worship a God who was not a father. Oh, he says that he would not worship a God who was not a father, which also means you have to have a mother. And he once possessed a body as we do now. And you can also say she possessed a body as we do now. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And then Orson F. Whitney, Orson F. Whitney was in the first presidency, and they referenced him. I think he was one of the few quotes that they used in the Gospel Topics essay. And he says, all men and women were in the similitude of the universal father and mother and are literally the sons and daughters of deity. So again, she's very present in these old writings. So Zina Huntington, I, I put this one kind of out farther, even though this is a recollection of 1839. And it says, I'll just read the bolded parts. She says, one day when her daughter Zina was speaking with the prophet Joseph Smith concerning the loss of her mother and her intense grief, she asked this question, will I know my mother as my mother when I get to the other side? Mm -hmm. And if you switch, yeah. So he says, certainly you will, was the instant reply of the prophet. More than that, you will meet and become acquainted with your eternal mother, the wife of your father in heaven. And she says, mm -hmm. and have I then a mother in heaven? Explained the astonished girl. You assuredly have, 
You have a father. You could how excuse me. How could a father claim his title unless there's also a mother to share that parenthood? So she's learning from the prophet's mouth. Of course, he's not writing this down, but she's learning from the prophet that she has a heavenly mother. And then it's just the close of the story. Truth is reason. Truth is eternal. Truth eternal tells me I have a mother there. So, yeah. And then also she does show up in um, Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon doctrine. This doctrine um, that there is a mother in heaven was affirmed in plainness by the in plainness. Oh, my gosh. In plainness by the first presidency of the church. And they say that we have heavenly parents and we are reared to maturity in the eternal mansions of our father. So they raised us in heaven. I don't still don't understand how all that works, but yeah, um, but we are literally the sons and daughters of deity, but I don't understand how, um, how resurrected beings can give birth to spirit beings. I don't, I don't <laughs> I've never understood that. Yeah, me either. Me either. I think cause I never really thought about it until I was out of the church and then it all just doesn't make sense. But well, we, as kids, we like, there's, there was eight of us growing up and we would just talk about this stuff all the time. Like it was, <laughs> but we didn't have any answers, of course. But. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so in her Sunstone essay, is there a place for heavenly mother in Mormon theology? Margaret Toscano said that she was convinced quote, that all arguments about her sacredness are a cover up for something else. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting. Agree. So I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sure is. Margaret. So what, what are your thoughts on what, what, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, um, because it, they just, if they're going to accept heavenly mother and accept her as deity that her daughters and sons can pray to her, then that starts to equal out, equalize the women and men within the church and the power that they have, um, and I think that just throws off the whole patriarchy corporation, what they're doing now. Um, and it basically throws off their whole plan um, by allowing that. And yeah. so I think that's why I, I really do. I think that that's why, you know, they haven't had a revelation about her or um, been able to put into place anything in the feminine priest priestesses priestesshood mm -hmm. <laughs> priestesshood so i think that's how they would call it i don't know um even though we've actually talked about that in a past podcast how the women did have a priestesshood um or priestess power i should say in the early church so mm -hmm. and then they, they stuffed that out and so I think it's just not playing into their story that they've been telling and what that will cause if they allow that to happen. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Well, yeah, I totally agree with that. Like this could help. This could, a lot of scholars think that that's true, that this could hurt the, the patriarchy, but also a lot of them think that teaching more about Heavenly Mother kind of makes the, the gender roles more concrete and they don't like that because they're more progressive and, mm -hmm. and thinking that women and men are more equal than that. But like, but there's a lot of other things. And so the things that I pulled out, um, I found problematic while I was doing this research. So yes, the patriarchy, but then all these other things I think are, they're trying to cover up past doctrines. Mm. Is another thing that I think is the okay. case. So another thing, I think one thing that they're trying to cover up is that Heavenly Mother is one of many. There is a plurality of Heavenly Mothers. And that can be a problem. Like, yeah. I, I think a lot of members are aware that we still 
teach or still adhere to the doctrine of polygamy. We just don't live it right now, but mm-hmm. it's still very much in the doctrine. Okay. So, question for you. When you were, when you were talking about heavenly mother with your siblings or whoever you're talking to, um, did you think that heavenly father and heavenly mother made all the children for this earth, like our heavenly father and heavenly mother. So there's only one, or did you think ever think of it like heavenly father? And then this heavenly mother might've made my spirit and another heavenly mother might've made your spirit. Like, how did you think of it? So I had one of my cousins actually said, I haven't heard this. I haven't read this anywhere else except for him saying it. Um, But it'd be really interesting to go and see where this was taught. But like, so there's this theory that the reason we have different races in the world is because of his different wives. So like mm-hmm. I'm white because his, one of his wives is white or like people are different skin colors because his wives had different skin colors. So that I thought was really interesting. And that like blew my mind. I was like, it's still a teenager when I heard that. Um, but like trying to wrestle with my parents divorced and my dad remarried another woman and they got sealed. So there's like three ceilings going on. And so we had to wrestle with polygamy in the Mm. eternities, like regularly as kids. Mm -hmm. And so it was really wild to think about God having more than one wife and especially so many, (laughs) like, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's um, an interesting concept that you're talking about right there, because that, what do you mean? Like only the souls that coordinate with that body type on on earth would go to that. (laughs) It makes no sense, especially when you actually talk it out like you just did. Um, But yeah, that's what, that's what the theory is. Interesting. like, yeah. If you, yeah, yeah, I have no idea, but yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So, so Orson Pratt in 1853, he taught that there is, if, uh, but none of God's children, oh, excuse me, <laughs> I cannot read today. If none but the gods will, will be permitted to multiply immortal children, it follows that each God must have more than one wife because he's saying, it sounds like he's saying there'll be limited number of people in heaven exalted. So of course there, there's going to be polygamy, like we need offspring. But again, it doesn't make sense to me how physical resurrected people can have spirit babies. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. So this is more from Orson Pratt. It's from the same book. It's called The Seer. And he says, we have now clearly shown that the that God the Father had a plurality of wives, one or more being an eternity by whom he begat our spirits, as well as the spirits of Jesus, his firstborn. Again, that doesn't make any sense to me because like, we know that when we're resurrected, we have perfect, we have a perfect body, we have a perfect uterus, we have a perfect womb everything functions. I don't understand how that, like, are we giving births to Adam and Adams and Eve's all the time? I don't understand any of that. <laughs> so, I have no I'm idea. Not sure about that either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is another one from Orson Pratt. And he taught that Mary, the mother of Jesus was one of God's plural wives. So he says, "Inasmuch as God was the first husband to her, Mary, it may be that he only gave her to be the wife of Joseph while in this mortal state. And that he intended after the resurrection to again, take her as one of his wives to raise up immortal spirits in eternity. So that's, I guess they're trying to justify it. Cause I think in Catholicism, and I don't know if this is, I don't know anything about any other religions, but I think in other religions, they, they truly believe that God um, was intimate with Mary as a husband and wife are in order to conceive Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the way of justifying God's, um, sexual relationship with this little 14 year old girl. Um, so I guess it makes sense weird in a weird way. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. I don't know. Yeah. 
So this is John Taylor. This is one of the prophets in 1857. Um, know thou not the eternities ago that eternities ago thy spirit, pure and holy, dwelt in the Heavenly Father's bosom and in his presence, and with thy mother, one of the queens of heaven, surrounded by brothers and sisters, spirits in the spirit world among the gods. Again, I don't understand physical bodies and spirits, but I like that idea that you're with your mother, but like you're with a lot of other mothers too. So Yeah. And yeah. one father. Yeah, it's like That's a pride. A very busy <laughs> like, guy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that I feel like they that could be easily covered up in this idea of Heavenly Mother is that your divine destiny is to be always pregnant and always giving birth. Again, I don't understand how that works in Mormon theology, but that's the idea is that you are always Mm -hmm. having spirit offspring. Mm -hmm. And that, like, I was just talking to my girlfriend about this is like, like we only have a small window in our mortal existence to have kids. And then after that, we get to enjoy grandbabies and we get to enjoy an empty house and we get to enjoy peace and like (laughs) quiet, I guess. But like, not if you're heavenly mother, not if you're a divine um, resurrected woman in heaven, like you, that is not your, that is not your divine destiny. Yeah. 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 And I like how you pointed out one, I think in one of the other podcasts that um, we don't really think about either is this idea of eternal families, right? So um, you're sealed in the LDS church to your husband. Um, You would then be what they used to teach the God of your own earth one day. Um, but then they talk about how, you know, no empty chairs, like um, all together in heaven with your family. But if, if the doctrine is true, you would never have time for your family in heaven. Uh, yeah. Like you would never see your kids. You would, they would have their own earth, their own population to bring about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it really isn't. It's just you and your spouse. Right. Um, and then, you, yeah, I was going to say, like, God also says that he cannot dwell in the, in he, like, he can't dwell around sin. He can't dwell with people that are less than him. In fact, he says that you have to be transfigured or transformed in a way to, in order to abide his presence. So, like, again, with that, when they, when Mormon theology, when you get to the highest kingdom, you can visit your family in lower kingdoms. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, that doesn't make sense because... If you are an exalted God with your own worlds, like, would you be able to abide sin to any degree? Like, I, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, no, they teach. Yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense that we would be allowed to go down, but not God with his own siblings, if this is a weirdly making sense. And <laughs> like, then, and then there's the thing too, if God is God, couldn't he go down <laughs> like without yeah, like, di- diminishing his light to be able to do so yeah. you know yeah, i don't know I don't, yeah. or you know if they came up to him would that really take away from him if he was god well even like if you think about you jesus know? like he wasn't made a less than being he was no he was no less right. anointed because he hung out with sinners like that doesn't make any sense right so i yeah. don't know mormon theology when you ask these questions makes yeah. sense <laughs> yeah makes less less and less uh, yeah. sense <laughs> yeah well if you'll go back for a second oh yeah so you. yeah so orson pratt i just like this one what degree of knowledge um they have obtained experience previous to their organization in the womb of the celestial female so i just i just really like that sentence the womb of the celestial female um it just invokes the image of to me like always being pregnant <laughs> which yeah. doesn't like i liked being pregnant i'm glad it was only nine months mm-hmm. um 
like I don't know I couldn't handle being yeah. a, a exalted um woman in the Mormon theology so I think that's the first time that I've actually really thought about it thought about it in the sense that there's actually time for this spirit baby to be in the celestial mother's womb uh-huh. so like the same is concept it, is of like they have to develop in her womb the spirit but, but how long is the d- gestation period for a spirit child like is it nine well, months <laughs> is it less i guess it depends on how many wives you have maybe it oh, gets, yeah. if you have more wives then it's less then it's more less wives they're like one second and then you oh, yeah. birth. Oh, one yeah. second you, give birth one second yeah. We had all those conversations with all my <laughs> siblings. We, like, you did. <laughs> are, are you like pushing out? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know okay. it was a great concept as a true believing Mormon, but when you break it down, it's really hard to even see how they are like trying. worlds. Worlds without number. That's yeah. how many kids God has, or like to populate these worlds without number. Like, yeah, He has to have a plural plurality of wives like there's no way (laughs) yeah no okay well yeah so this is john lyon in 1853 he says he's talking about our which gave our spirits former birth a parentage and a name and so he's again he's just referencing our parents who gave us they were our parents they raised us and they gave us a name we had a bond with them and like i like Mm -hmm. this idea in fact Mm -hmm. this is reminding me of this is kind of off topic but in my patriarchal blessing it specifically has a whole paragraph saying my relationship in the pre-existence with God. And it's just this mm-hmm. beautiful idea that like, that I learned about God and his presence. It doesn't say anything about heavenly mother, but like it has this whole, like he's a dad and you love him so much that you wanted, you didn't want to leave him, but that you decided to come down to earth so that you could be with him forever. And so I like that. I like that image. I love the, I love the idea of a God who is our father and a God who is our mother, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think the Mormon God is a very good dad. So, yeah. So if you separate the two and just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just a lot healthier if you separate them. Mm-hmm. So. And I do like the idea in a way too. I like, though for me, it doesn't have to be of male and female. Like for me, it's just like, I like the idea of a collective God that you are part of and not separated from while you're here on earth and then return to. I like that idea. It feels good. Um, But I don't know, the separating and putting them into genders and then having only the women make babies forever and ever. And obviously that with all the women, Heavenly Father would also be having to do that all the time oh that's true i had never thought about so so (laughs) there's like you know (laughs) you would be even more busy than the women so i just don't like that starts to not feel right like something is not good but i think you can still have that I don't know, being connected to something greater than you without having to like name it, I guess. Maybe that's what where I'm going for there. But yeah, like I like yeah. the idea. And I love that you said about like the gender, um, like a non-binary kind of person watching. Yeah. Like I like the idea of somebody watching over you and and who cares about you. Somebody who maybe has power 
to take care of you because that's just really comforting yeah. in general. Like just to have someone older. Like guide might, you. Yeah. You know, like, choices. Even like or... a child with a parent, like, oh, I know you're here. I know you'll protect me or you'll just be there to comfort me. Like it's mm-hmm. really comforting to have this idea of, of a deity, whatever gender or no gender mm-hmm. watching out for you. So I really like that idea too. Yeah. 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 Me too. So W.W. Phelps again, 1854. And he's talking about in the mansions with my mother, I sat upon her knee. And this is just one little line from his mm-hmm. his little poem. But I just, the idea of being on her knee, like, like that's different from this idea of this pregnant um, ever giving birth. It's a, it's a more intimate yeah. scene of this mother and a child on her knee. I just really like that one. Yeah, I like it too. And the idea of you do have a real connection with them, mm-hmm. not just like a numbered spirit that just like... Oh yeah. Yeah. That's goes true. Away. So, like it's more mm-hmm. like an intimate kind of relationship where yeah. they see you and know you. And yeah. So this is William Gills Mills and this is in 1854. And he talks about spirits born of parents are great. This is a poem. So we just talking about spirits are born of parents. Um, again, I don't know how that happens, but it, but it, this exists that this, this idea that, that we do have heavenly parents and that they are, giving birth and raising us and things like that. So just another one of those. So there's Parley P. Pratt, 1855. And he's not talking about Heavenly Mother specifically, but he says that um, the eternal union of the sexes in and after the resurrection is mainly for the purpose of renewing and continuing the work of procreation. So he's saying, you know, there is procreation. You will you will have children. And he says the offspring, um, the offspring of immortal and celestial beings. So yeah, like just that idea again that it exists that is none of these are present in the gospel topics essay that that there's plurality of wives that there's mm. um, you can that's interesting to me. Yeah, that's interesting to me that they with all of this that's said from Brigham Young on mm-hmm. that there wouldn't be some mention of it in the gospel topic essays. So they're trying to cover yes, this. They are they're trying really... to put it under the radar. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast so that we yeah. can like sift this all to the surface. Mm-hmm. So there's Wilfred Woodruff, um, who I believe was another prophet, 1875. Mm-hmm. They, the primordial spirits, came from the, their eternal father and their eternal mother unto whom they were born in the eternal world, and they will be restored to their eternal parentage. So again, this is a very real idea in Mormon theology that they're just not talking about anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Like, that's, it feels, but that's 18, I, well, I guess 1875. So, mm-hmm. but well, they keep it, going. It's like, going. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. continuing. Yeah. So this is a church manual. This is in 1976. Again, these are a little bit more sparse. This was a, this is a big jump in the mm-hmm. timeline. Um, but they said in the church manual, by definition, exalted exaltation includes the ability to procreate the family unit throughout eternity. This is our, this, our father in heaven has the power to do his marriage partner is our mother in heaven. And we are their spirit children born to them in the bonds of celestial marriage. So like, I know people have wondered this and this might be, maybe this is inappropriate to say, but there's been people that have wondered whether there is intimacy in heaven or whether it's because they say that matter, like you don't create the spirits or Joseph called them intelligences and then they become spirits and then they become mortal beings and then immortal beings. But I don't know how we jump from um, intelligences to spirits. I don't understand that, but there, so the, because of that um, misunderstanding, there's a lot of people that say there's no um, procreation in heaven. And then there's people that say that there are, 
Mm-hmm. Um, this seems to be a, a set doctrine that there is the ability to procreate and have children in heaven. I don't know why that would be not the case. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this one deserves its own <laughs> um, podcast episode, mm-hmm. this idea of, of the Adam God doctrine. So mm-hmm. uh, this is something that Brigham Young taught, and it was taught at least for 50, I kind of want to say 50 years yeah. at the temple in St. George. So this yeah. was not, the church likes to put it off as like Brigham Young went rogue <laughs> for a minute, but this was being taught at the temple. And I think still to this day, there is not a gospel topics essay that covers the Adam God doctrine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so part of this doctrine is that Eve is also heavenly mother. They just go hand in hand with each other. And so here's Brigham Young in 1852. He says, when our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with a celestial body and brought Eve, one of his wives, with him. He helped to make and organize this world. So he's so he's still saying Adam is, like, the, he's not calling Adam God, but he's, He's at later he'll say that she that Adam is God and then Eve is Heavenly Mother. So it's just a weird thing. It's just a really weird doctrine. I don't know why he felt the need for it in the first place, but mm-hmm. but going back to I guess, was it was it Hinckley just now earlier where he says that they don't fabricate oh no, it was Renland. They don't fabricate doc fabricate doctrines yeah. with their own mind. So <laughs> So I but, guess yeah, it was. So somehow the church has to yeah put this somewhere in their doctrine i don't know we'll see how they do yeah so Brigham young again adam and eve are the parents of all pertaining to the flesh and he says i would not say that they are not also the parents of our spirits so he is saying adam and eve are the parents of our spirits so this is in a weird way this is not Mm. the only case there's a whole you can get whole books on all the things Brigham young taught about adam Adam god so this is not comprehensive Mm. don't think this is the only place Maybe we'll, we'll have few. to do a podcast on that after the yeah. Me podcast. Yeah, like when we get really to that. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So with all the things we've talked about, I made a new list of what we learned about Heavenly Mother. So we have a Heavenly Mother. She was taught by Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff. These are all prophets. The earliest publication was in February of 1844, um, four months before Joseph died. So she once lived on earth like we do. She is a perfect resurrected being. Some of the early sisters prayed to her, including the prophet's own wife. She was the wife of two of the prophets. Mm -hmm. She has heavenly parents, meaning that we have heavenly grandparents. I can't remember if I, I don't remember reading that slide, but maybe, maybe I skipped over it. Mm -hmm. She has infinite knowledge. She has a celestial womb in which she carries us. She is one of many of God's wives and she resides in God's heavenly mansions and raises her children there. So, so if you go to the next slide, like this so Renlund says that, that everything there is to know is in the Gospel Topics essays. But but as you can see, as we demonstrated, that's not the case. There's so much to know about her. So again, this just to me feels like a cover-up. Like Margaret Toscano said, they're covering up things that they don't like about her mm-hmm. theology or about her, the doctrine of Heavenly Mother. So yeah, it's to just silence a, her so yeah. in hopes that it goes away. Yeah. 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 But I do think a huge thing is the the patriarchy. I think that's oh yeah, probably one sure. of the biggest things. Yeah. 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 So um George Q. Cannon um was one of the 12 apostles. He said there's too much of this inclination to deify our mother in heaven. He argued that worshiping her would detract from worshiping our father in heaven. But Rud but Rud Roger Clausen, he was also one of the 12 apostles, he says it doesn't take away from her our worship of the eternal father to adore our earthly mother, our eternal mother. 
We honor women when we acknowledge Godhood in, in, in her eternal prototype. In other words, when we acknowledge Heavenly Father, we are allowing women to embrace their divine potential, which I like that one. I like yeah. that, that idea. That's just the idea of it would take away from Heavenly Father just seems mm -hmm. so wrong. Like, but also like, yeah, that, that makes, like you were saying, this makes no sense. Yeah. Like, like acknowledging that you have a mom does not take away, take from, away from your dad. Right. Yeah. 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 Having a relationship with your mom does not take away from your relationship with your dad. It just gives you more relationships. Yes. Like, and more love and more yeah, guidance exactly. and more like so all many around things. Better. Yeah. Yeah. All around better. I would say yes. Cause yeah. you've, you've actually like severed a tie to a, a mother figure for like, not just the women, but the men within the church too. Like, mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of men who would rather pray to a heavenly mother in that sense, also within the church who are within the church. I just, I just don't see, I don't know. Just now, I depending on your family. Yeah. Depending on your family that you grew up in, you probably feel, you know, able to speak to one parent better than another maybe mm -hmm. um and that would kind of maybe translate into like who you pray to more the connection mm -hmm. you felt to deity well also also like I had this thought like like when mm -hmm. we think about God we think like I often think of the old testament the things that they were taught about him like he's a jealous God he wants you to keep those strict mm -hmm. ten commandments or in, in the commandments of Mormonism like he's a he's a very he's a kind of judgmental person but with, but with Heavenly Mother, because so little is written about her and how she perceives things, maybe she'd be like even a better one to pray to or to talk to or to confess to because there's mm -hmm. not, not any preconceived ideas of how she would handle anything that we tell her, if, if that makes any sense. Like yeah, she won't, no, she's I not going to judge us because there's no account of her judging us. She's not going to yeah. shame us. She's not going to do any yeah. of these things. Like, yeah. Yeah. You you already don't have like a pre-written scripture that right. already basically tells you what the, what the outcome is going to come. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. You can just have a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with her. I think yeah. that, yeah, I think that would, in, in the way they have the church set up, that would cause problems. Yeah. Because I, I do feel like if there was no like barrier the there, that they would, that they would feel a connection. Yeah. to that heavenly mother, even if it is a different God than this is how I feel. This is my own interpretation of God right now, but no matter who is praying to God, their God, whoever that is, um, if there's no barrier where they feel already not enough, then there's a new connection that can be made with that God that. I think is stronger than anything they would have before, because I do believe that, you know, if there is a God, their love surpasses anything that we can understand. And so they wouldn't want that barrier. I think that barrier is put there by humans. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just my, my Jen's thoughts for right now that are ever curiously changing and growing <laughs> and, you know, 
learning, finding out new things. But I, I see how that could be very troublesome for the patriarchy within the church. Yeah. Well, and then like that, that kind that, of connection to a God. Right. And I was just thinking about the church runs so much on like this shame cycle and this judgment cycle yeah. mm-hmm. and, and having to answer for your sins. But like, if, if you have a heavenly mother without any preconceived ideas, then she could extend unconditional love, which would, which wouldn't help the church because like you can sin and do all these sins, but then she's always going to love you no matter what. Like mm-hmm. that's not going to help the Mormon church get no. more devoted members, I guess. <laughs> no, they'd have to like, yeah, th- that's the whole thing is that if they even decide to bring her into revelation that they're getting now, they would have to, I mean, it's going to take them years to try and figure out how to put her in her box into the LDS religion because it's, she's going to have to come with a box or it's not going to work for them. Yeah. And I'm just wondering what that box is going to be. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is another quote from Margaret Toscano. It does not matter whether the doctrine of heavenly mother remains part of official LDS theology or not. If there are no private or public occasions on which we can invoke her name and image, Mother in Heaven will surely fade from our memory. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I would say so too. If you have yeah. no connection with her, she's not going to be, you're not going to think about her often and feel so, connected. It's almost like she's a mythical, well, I mean, like I have my own views about um, God and stuff, but but in Mormon theology, it's almost like she's a mythical creature. That's yeah. Like, and then yeah. you're told by the prophet not to talk about, not to pray to, not to mention, not to try we don't talk about Heavenly Mother. <laughs> bring up, yeah. Yeah. It's that Bruno, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I have two questions at the end while we're closing, and I just wanted to like kind of rack our brains. Um, like what would the church okay, so why do the church leaders not teach about Heavenly Mother? And I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, is that um the patriarchy, like if mm-hmm. if they teach about her, they have to teach that she's equal. Well, I don't know if they have to teach that she's equal to God because is it equal if you're pushing out babies and raising children all the time and you're not actually taking the forefront in any of the decisions that happen with the earth, the world? Like we used to joke that that it was Heavenly Mother that caused the flood and like like while God was not looking um, because <laughs> she was trying to clean it, but like the flood is just a horrible story anyway. Like yeah, yeah, I agree. But like yeah. anyway, but like like what happens if they teach about her? Like. I just, I think that disrupts the whole, everything, like. Yeah, everything. It would, it would. Yeah. They would have to, they would have to make her some box. And then the other thing is, um, why do church leaders not teach about Heavenly Mother? Because there hasn't been any real revelation since the old prophets. Oh, yes. Since the olden day prophets, like there hasn't ever been like real revelation, like something is really changing and it's really, you know, this and not this, you know, I mean, there was, but you know, the policy and then, you know, they retracted or whatever, but, Mm -hmm. and that was just wrong in so many ways, but yeah, um, there hasn't really been, you know what I mean? There hasn't been Mm -hmm. like some new revelation of God and the eternities and like relationships and what that really looks like in heaven. There's been nothing really. 
Yeah, I don't, I can't think of any, like, there's sure there's been changes, but like you said, mostly policy. I don't, I don't think, I can't think of any doctrines that are new. <laughs> I can't either. Like, I, I, don't I mean, know. there's a collection of doctrine, like the family proclamation, but that's just a collection of doctrine that they put into one document. That's not like new revelation. Right, right. So, like, right. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. I, yeah, like I, I'm impressed with Joseph where he had this ability to to just have doctrine all the time. It was just sprouting everywhere. And like mm-hmm. I'm reminded of this one doctrine where he says that there there are babies on thrones in heaven. Like there are exalted babies, which mm-hmm. um, it's just a wild thing to think about. Like how, I don't know. But yeah, yeah we don't get that wild. anymore. Nelson doesn't. Nope. Nelson tells us that there's no evolution. <laughs> like anyway, and like yeah. there's, it's, there's just no revelation at all. Yeah. In a, in a church with 15 prophets, there's no revelation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cause they would have to. <laughs> oh, I just can. I'm like, no, you just can't. Oh, I don't know. Julia you just can't get revelation. Cause it, Joseph would just like get it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then write it down. There wouldn't be like, okay, let's get it. Okay. Let's okay. We need to tweak this. We need to turn this. We need to put this side of the box up because she can't do that because then the, that that says something about this other revelation we can't do that so then we got to put her here and then like that's not revelation that's trying to make up an effing story that right. goes along with your made-up doctrine from others like if you if that's how you get your revelation and have to go through the revelation process it's an of an obvious yeah. Well, like that sounds just like the family proclamation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds just like the family proclamation, how you just said that, where it's like the the 12 push this, these ideas around with a bunch of lawyers and then they make a document, they draft it, they send it to the first presidency and, or the prophet. And he's like, oh yeah, I, I approve of this. And then, and then that's doctrine. Yeah. Like that's not doctrine. Like, and then they <laughs> women. <laughs> and what? And then they never ask the women about oh, the family yeah, they just, proclamation. They yeah, there's so <laughs> Remember many that? Oh, yeah. oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah. so I, I can see why there's been no revelation for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, what would happen if the culture allowed a more prominent space for Heavenly Mother? And like, I would hope that having her be, even if she's just talked about more, but we don't pray to her or whatever, like that would allow women to feel like they have divine nature divine purpose. I don't know. Like, I hope it would become healthier for women yeah. or, or a safer space for them. But I don't really think that the, the Mormon church is a very healthy space for women and well, even men Yeah, and, or anybody, anyone, <laughs> anyone in general. in general. Yeah. 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 I, I just, you know, what, what would it do though? Really? You know, like if they were allowed to, if anyone, if, if we, if we go back and we say, Hey, you know, um, president Hinckley said this, but we have now had revelation that heavenly father says it's okay to build, you know, a personal relationship with heavenly mother through prayer. And you can do that, you know, anytime you want, whenever you want to build that own personal relationship with her and just mm, like, mm-mm, don't say mm-hmm. anything else. Just let it be. I think just that would help a lot um, as far as 
women in the church and them feeling connected and enough. Mm-hmm. I think that that would help the shame and not feeling like they're enough. Um, I actually think it would be really healing. Well, and I think about that for the men too, like to have the ability to talk to your mother. I feel like that could help with some of this masculinity and sometimes even toxic masculinity in the church. Yeah. Like, so that could be, be healing for both to have this culture. If they, yes, if they could give it out like that, if they could give it out like that to the members of the church without putting her in a box, just allowing the natural connection that happens for the members of the church with their heavenly mother. I think that would be actually a beautiful step if, if they do not attach anything to that. If there's mm-hmm. like, no, you can't pray the, here about her. You can't do it in the church. You can't do it in the temples, but you can do it in your, like that's no, that's putting her in a box. That's like, so making free God small. Yeah. Just let it be. Like, yes, please build a relationship with your heavenly mother. However, that is for you. Well, at the same time, I feel like this is giving, allowing, allowing members of the church or just anyone to pray to her is like a flame that can, like a wildfire that can spread. Mm -hmm. And the women and men would would ask for more, would ask for like, well, can we have priesthood power like we did in the past? Or can we, can we baptize? Can we? whatever the men can do, can we hold office? Can we be bishops? Like she's a goddess, like that we talk to. And then you have the problem of revelation is like, if she answers your prayers in a way that's, um, uh, feminine, like, yeah, uh, I don't know, like equality. Like if she's giving you revelations, that's just, it gets kind of messy. And I can see, yeah, I can see the mess there too, because you, like you could get a revelation from Heavenly Mother and then your husband gets a revelation from Heavenly Father. Yeah. So he's gonna be... he's gonna be right. on that one. <laughs> Although the brethren say they they say that, you know, you won't receive any revelation unless we've already told you that that's the truth. So if you get anything hmm. different, then that's not of God. So they'd have to say something, some caveat like that where although yeah. it doesn't make sense. Like I love all of that idea. I love the idea of praying to this divine female. I love the idea of having this relationship. Um I it just isn't going to work with the church. Yeah. The way it's set up, it's not because she would have to have confinement in some way. Yeah. You'd have so, to, you have to put a box or yeah. else it, yeah. Mm, which just makes me sad to be honest. Well, so, and I wonder why I just, she wasn't, yeah. like, it didn't seem like because we went through all these sources, at least in the, the late 15 or 1800s, excuse me, 1850s mm-hmm. and whatever. Like she didn't seem to have a box at all then. Like they didn't have any qualms about talking about her. And it doesn't, it didn't like, I don't know if the church had any problems with any of that then. Like she did seem to have free reign in the minds of the members and that didn't seem to cause any problems. And like Eliza R. Snow, like used her priesthood. Here she was praying to have her mother. Like nothing bad happened that I'm aware of by giving these women the right to pray to her or to use their priesthood power. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, like, no, why? It just, it just, why is it a problem? It just like, did good. Yeah. And that, yeah, and, like, and, that and, and built things and raised money that the church stole, but yeah, oh um, all the things, but if you look at it, like the women did pretty awesome with their oh, priestesses. Yeah. 
you know, priestess power or whatever. And I think that that, I think the only reason that that was stopped was because of men's egos within the church and that, you know, we can't let the women do better than us. Yeah. And we were, or at least the relief society was. Yeah. 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 They, they were, they truly were. And they were having babies and crossing the plains by themselves. And they were planting gardens and collecting weed and all the other things on top of having a million kids. So they're just, they were freaking awesome. That's what they were. (laughs) They were powerful women. That's for sure. Yeah. So, Oh, one of these times we're going to end a podcast and we're going to be like, so excited. I know. I was like, like happy and pumped up. (laughs) Well, like the next seven months are going to be sad. Yeah. Mm. I am really excited because I love talking, telling these women's stories. Like, of course, this isn't the only podcast that exists out there that talks about polygamy, but like just getting these personal stories and and putting that attention to, I don't, I'm just really excited about showing these women Again, yeah, I, I am too. And I'm excited to kind of bring some of their own words into the podcast oh, for sure, and their stories and to kind of think about it as, um, you know, what position they were in when they said the certain words and things like that to kind of look at the whole story um, of it. But I'm I'm actually super excited about these coming up. So mm-hmm. it's going to be the first. We changed to Saturdays now to release podcasts. So it's always going to be the first Saturday of every month for um, the podcast with Analyzing Mormonism with Julia. So um, polygamy starts April, the first Saturday of April. So be watching out for that. And w- did polygamy play a part in your faith transition? Actually, yes. So, okay. So, um, what did you want to know more about that? Or should I just say that? Yeah. Well, well, either way, either way, I was just wondering if, if it did play a a big part for you. So I was transitioning, I was, um, becoming more progressive with this, the LGBTQ stuff. And so I read Taylor Petrie's book, um, Tabernacles of Clay, but at the same time I was reading in sacred loneliness and Mm. I got halfway through that book and I was like, this is not of God. Joseph was not a prophet. And that sort of just broke everything for me. And he's very detailed, okay. Todd Compton. He's very detailed in his sources. In fact, he came out with another companion book with just the sources. So like, mm. that was really big for me. Cause like Zina Huntington, if you were going to put a wife to my, my shelf, my testimony breaking, it, yeah. was, Zina, it was Zina Huntington. So, mm, okay. yeah. Yeah. And, mine was Fanny Alger. Started yeah, at the all, very beginning. They're all, <laughs> yeah. all like, yeah. they're all, I, Maybe not all of them are bad stories, but they're all, they all feel icky to me. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, so that it's... is to come. That is to come next month. Um, so thank you, Julia, for yeah. all your work, putting these together. And like, this means so much to me. And I know the listeners, they totally adore you and Aww. are so thankful to have women's voices in the truth claims. Um and in podcasts that they can listen to, to kind of have a different voice that goes along with them. So I really yeah. do appreciate you and, and all you do on the podcast here. So yeah, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. We'll see everyone next month for a start of polygamy. <laughs> <laughs> see you later, everyone.